0: let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians uh, chapter 3. Sunday morning we're in a series entitled uh, Give Me Jesus, a study of the book of Colossians. And while we're turning uh, there, uh, just a reminder, on Sunday nights, we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and currently in the Gospel according to Luke, and we will be in Luke chapter 6 to finish that this evening with Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Uh, everyone's pretty familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, and this is a second sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Plain, and we'll be studying that this evening. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are uh, on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, uh, not compassion, passion, uh, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let's pray together now. Father, we are always humbled to be able to turn to your word and just the amazing thing to say to turn to your word and how attentive we are to so many other things in life and and yet the marvel of having your revelation of yourself breathed by the holy spirit in our hands and the intent of your holy spirit to make the truths and the realities that we're going to study today not to leave them on the printed page but to make them a part of our lives and our relationship with you we are so thankful for that and that's the work of the holy spirit that we ask for uh, this morning we know that your word never returns void it always accomplishes what it is intended to accomplish But Lord, we can be dull sometimes and we pray that you would remove any and all distractions now as we turn to your word and you would give us the ability to hear your spirit speak into our relationship with you uh, through your word this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. At the time of Paul's writing of this letter, the teaching of the false teachers at the church in Corinth, uh, their false teaching did not center on uh, the doctrine of salvation. Uh, they were not teaching a different way that people needed to be saved, that there was a, a w- another way to be saved other than simply putting our trust and faith solely in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. But they were teaching that once a person became a Christian, once they were saved, that the way to a holy life the way to experiencing spiritual depth spiritual victory was found on the path of human philosophy or legalism or pseudo-mysticism, or in just simply abandoning any attempt to resist the carnality or the drives of our fallen Adam nature, and uh, to simply jettison any real concern uh, for sanctified or holy or uh, Christ-like living, uh, practically speaking. And again, as we observed last week, one of the problems with their teaching, with their view, is that God is very concerned. Not merely with our salvation, but he is very concerned for us as Christians, having been saved, very concerned about our sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, as we read last week, for this is the will of God. I mean, you're just on the edge of the seat. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God for me? This is the will of God, your sanctification. And the idea that uh, once God uh, saves us and God's saving us happens in an instant in time, but once we've been saved, now God begins a work of sanctification, of making us holy, of making us Christ-like. And this work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify our lives or to make our lives progressively more and more like Christ every single day, that is something that is going to occupy the remainder of our lives. The Holy Spirit will do this all the way until one day we're in heaven, and then uh, the sanctification will uh, be complete. Christianity is not Uh, jesus saving us forgiving us of our sins and then god leaving us doomed to continue to live the life that we once lived before we were christians now just think about what an awful awful thought that is in the end of our our minds Having been born again, having God change our lives, we are no longer the person that we once were through this progressive work of sanctification within our lives to look back and imagine That here I am as a Christian, I'm forgiven by God, I'm on my way to heaven, but I still have to live the life that I once lived and the the bondage of it all the way until I die. It's an awful, awful thought. And that isn't Christianity uh, at all, to live that kind of life, our former life, doomed to the uh, bondage of sin nor having uh, God having done the greater thing, the harder thing of saving us, then God does not now turn us over to human philosophy or over to legalism or pseudo-mysticism now in order to uh, an asceticism for the purpose of uh, accomplishing our sanctification. And one of the reasons that God doesn't do that is because legalism, asceticism, pseudo-mysticism, human philosophy is completely incapable. Any one of them alone, but all of them together, completely, not partially, completely incapable of sanctifying uh, a single human life in the way that God intends our lives uh, to be sanctified. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that sanctification. And what Paul declared concerning asceticism, in that final verse of of chapter 2, verse 23, and he declared of it, uh, it is of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. That is, asceticism won't make the smallest dent in our sin nature in the nature that we have a fallen nature that's attracted to sin that we inherited from adam and eve asceticism won't make the smallest dent uh, in, in uh, bringing that uh, bad boy, that uh, fallen uh, man uh, into any kind of, of line. And what Paul said about asceticism is equally true in terms of human philosophy or in terms of uh, pseudo-mysticism or in terms of legalism. They are all incapable of sanctifying a human life. And as a result when Paul begins chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, he instructs us concerning uh, what is of value for us as Christians against the indulgence of the flesh. What is of a practical value in bringing to an end our bondage to sin uh, in our lives. And he instructs us concerning how we are here in these verses that we uh, read, but also verses 1 through 4, verses 1 through 14. He instructs us now on how we are to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to provide us and bless us with a holy, sanctified, Christ-like life. And this, of course, can never be accomplished independent of the Holy Spirit. No one can do it in their own strength. But it is also important to realize that each of us have, as Christians play a part in our own sanctification. It isn't something that is solely the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. The Scriptures make clear that we play a part in our own sanctification as well. Somebody might ask, well, why doesn't the Holy Spirit just do all of it? I mean, why didn't He just make life a lot easier for all of us and just sanctify us completely and be done with it in a moment in the way that salvation was? And, and uh, uh, why do we need to play a part in it at all? and i think uh, one of the reasons is in part is because of the spiritual maturity and the spiritual depth that is introduced into our life and that develops within our lives as we play our part in uh in our own sanctification and the things that what the Gnostics were promising uh, a deeper spiritual life um a a a, a, um, a kind of a, a deeper blessing all of these things that they were promising they none of the, the, the Gnostic teaching couldn't deliver any of it and uh, and uh a, a, compared to the depth and spiritual maturity that comes into our lives as we just simply obey God's Word, again, in the power of the Spirit, obey God's Word in terms of our part and our own sanctification or growing uh, in, in holiness. I think it, it, the, the, us playing our part in our own, growing more and more like Christ, it also provides us a way, with a way to express our love to God. It is another way to express our submission uh, to God and to learn how to kind of flex our new uh, spiritual muscles and, and to grow spiritually. And of course, everything within our culture fights against this, this kind of thing. And in our culture, we want everything in life uh, to be easy. We want it to be completely uh, pain-free. We want it to be completely uh, effortless. And, uh, Or better yet, uh, to have everything that is difficult in life uh, to be done for us uh, by somebody else. And uh, we want this one-minute spirituality. Just give one minute to God of the day, and then progressively that will turn me into a a deep spiritual uh, individual. And yet that's not how it works. And in this regard, so often we want God to do all of it. But, uh, but that would not allow us to grow spiritually, to develop our faith, to develop endurance, unless we had a part in this and then also uh, played our part in it. It'd be like raising a child uh, from uh, birth all the way to the age of 18. And if you did everything for that child, uh, you protected them from every pain in life from every uh, deprivation from uh, everything that would produce a sweat or any kind of a problem or difficulty in their life thinking that that's the role of a parent in a child's life I mean, you, uh, what a monster we would have at the end of uh, 18 uh, years that person would be completely unqualified and unprepared to be successful in the middle of the world that they would now need to be successful in. They would lack the character. They would lack the endurance. They would lack the self-discipline. They would lack all of the things that are needed. So no parent does that. No parent in their right mind And what we do as we raise our children is we recognize that when they're infants, when they're little tiny babies, yes, we do everything for them because they need us to do everything for them. But as they grow progressively and and, uh, uh, into their early childhood and mid-childhood and early teens and so forth, we recognize as they're growing, there are more and more things that they are capable of doing and ought to be doing. So we offload those off of our responsibility. We put them on the children because they can do them and be successful at them. And that's how they learn and how they're prepared for life and the same thing is true uh, spiritually Uh, in our lives as christians god will always do what He alone can do uh, in our lives, but He will not necessarily do for us what we can do and what we're called to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he, you wonder, well, why when we get saved doesn't God just take us directly to heaven? Because uh, why does He leave us here for the remainder of our life? And part of that is a... For a, our preparation for heaven, preparation of a, a godly character that will uh, hopefully one day hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into uh, the joy uh, of the Lord. Now, last week when we looked at verses one through four, and it's hard because this is all one section, but Paul just says so many things so fast. That you can't really, with any consideration of time, uh, tackle all of it at once. And so, uh, just for those of you who didn't hear last week, it's important to go online and listen to that because it all forms one thought that Paul is is laying out here. But last week we saw in verses 1-4 through that as Christians uh, we are to realize that we have been raised with Christ. Uh, and then to seek those things that are above, and then to set our minds on things above and not on the things of the earth, to realize that we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God, to realize that when Christ appears, we will appear with Him in glory. And all of those four verses, as we saw last week, dealing in large part with what is to dominate Our hearts and our minds. What is to dominate our thinking and our affections. No one will grow in a practical sense in our lives beyond uh, what has our affections or beyond what we believe to be true. And that's uh, that has to do with the physical realm, but also with the spiritual realm. And so that's where he starts. And having laid out, this is where your mind is to be set. This is where your heart is to be set, dealing with these uh, innards within us. Now, as he gets into verse 5, he gets into the nitty-gritty, the daily uh, rubber-meets-the-road uh, Part of our sanctification, and he uh, and this instruction consists of three great exhortations uh, that I would encapsulate in three words or three phrases, and the first one is mortify, and verses five through seven. Uh, Put off in verses 8 and 9, and put on uh, verses 10 through 14. And so Paul begins with, uh, in verses 5 through 7, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And as he describes it there in verse 5. And when he talks about your members, you think, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, Your members. And what he's talking about is he's referring to our physical members, uh, all of the pieces that constitute uh, our body and our mind and our heart and our our soul. It refers to our physical members so far as they are employed in uh, the service or the practice of sin. And so Paul is not speaking here in a physical sense. He, the Bible never calls on a Christian uh, to self-mutilate, uh, physically speaking, or to flagellate themselves, or whatever uh, it might be. We're never called to deal with the body in that, that way, and this isn't calling for that. He's saying that we should deny our body the practice of any sin that it wants to engage in. And we are to deny our body uh, the, uh, I- I- its desire to do that. Now, uh, Paul tells us here, and I think the NIV gets it I- I- exactly uh, right. The NIV puts it, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the old man. Now, Paul tells us what we're, uh, that we are to put to death. All such desires of our sin nature for uh, sin. I actually like the passage, uh, verse 5, better in the Old King James. I don't know if it's because when I was a new Christian, there was no New King James or NIV or any of those things. There was an Old King James. And so maybe it's because I read it for the very first time, in the old King James and I was so impacted by this call to mortify uh, I don't know but in the in the old King James it says therefore uh, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth there's something about that word uh, mortify that just grabs me and, uh, and it speaks uh, to the, the strength of what it is that Paul is exhorting us to do here. And the word mortify means to execute. It means to cold-blooded murder. It means to show these kind of things in our lives absolutely no mercy. Because they will show no mercy to us if they're allowed uh, into our lives, it's important to realize, I think as well, that what Paul is calling on us to do in mortifying uh, sin that appeals to our sin nature, that this is something beyond establishing wise boundaries in our lives as Christians in an attempt to limit our exposure to sin and exposure to the temptation of sin. And so every single one of us as Christians, we should set up whatever restraints we need to, whatever boundaries we need to set up in our lives uh, in order to keep us safely separated from sin, from all sin, but especially the one, two, three, four sins that we're very familiar with in our, in our own lives, that if we were to say, if any one, two, or three sins are going to be the ones that are going to get me and spoil my Christian witness, it'll probably be them. And so we're to handle all sin in the way Paul describes here, and, and certainly concerning uh, those sins that were the most vulnerable uh, too. And so in terms of these boundaries that, uh, that uh, we, we set up, these parameters that we set up in, on, on our lives, uh, for instance, if I'm tempted by alcohol, I shouldn't go into a bar to buy a newspaper. Or if I'm tempted by a drug addiction, then when I drive home from work, I shouldn't drive uh, down the street where I know uh, that drugs are readily available for sale. Or if I'm tempted by pornography, I should set up some kind of accountability with uh, another brother or sister or two and something on the computer or whatever the source of the pornography is in in order to make uh, that difficult or impossible uh, to access. If I'm tempted by sexual immorality, then I should burn all bridges of opportunity to that. Uh, No one who wants to have any kind of victory over sexual immorality is going to keep uh, telephone numbers in his or her phone uh, of people that would uh, readily be available with a phone call. Uh, to burn all of the bridges related to that removing everything uh, like that not meeting alone with the opposite sex or uh, rather just interacting with them in the in the safety of a group setting and so on and on and on it goes and again each of us are aware of what kind of boundaries we need to place on on, uh, on the areas of sin, all areas of sin, but the areas of sin that we're the most uh, vulnerable to and, uh, and, and most prone to become dominated by. Paul is absolutely unmistakably clear on uh, what he's saying here in Colossians in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, when he declares, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to fulfill its lusts. And that's what he is telling us to do in this mortification. So when we're talking about these things, these boundaries that we place, these safeguards that we place within our lives, all of those things are simply the mark of a Christian who is serious about... Uh, living a holy life and serious about staying free of the bondage of sin but it is not mortification it is not yet mortification that is not what paul is talking about when he talks about mortification Mortification goes beyond setting up those kind of boundaries in our lives. Mortification is what we do with the sins and the temptations that get past those boundaries within our lives. And they can get past those boundaries that we've established in our lives to protect holy living. And when something gets through, Paul says, mortify it cold-blooded murder it spiritually show it absolutely no mercy and how we do that is as an act of our will and the power of the holy spirit as christians uh, we are to decisively we are to resolutely we are to do so with a sense of righteous indignation against the sin that wants to come into my life and take me into bondage again as if I was still the same person I used to be before I became a Christian and as if I was not indwelt by God Almighty Himself in the Holy Spirit and the temptation comes and there should be a sense of a front related to that and then to pray something like this Lord I reject this temptation and I am done with the person that I used to be. And so as an act of my will, I say no to this sin. And, I, uh, and everywhere that it wants to take me in life. And I say yes to your word. I say yes to the prompting of your spirit. I say yes to your plan for my life. And in doing so, I take that powerful thing called the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and I I mortify that deed of the flesh that is coming against me now and trying to draw me into the old ways or even into a new sin that maybe we never uh, practiced. And Paul gives us, he's very practical here, he gives us five examples of the kind of thing that we need to mortify as Christians so that we're not left guessing uh, in terms of what he's talking about. You notice in verse 5, he talks about mortifying uh, fornication. And fornication is sexual intercourse with anyone outside of the commitment or the covenant of, of marriage. He talks about uncleanness, and that's not a physical hygiene that he's talking about. He's talking about moral uncleanness, and so uh, this refers to all other uh, sexual expression beyond sexual intercourse that is only for the marriage bed. It is only for uh, the 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 uh, two involved in in a covenant of marriage. He talks about passion. This, in its context, refers to sexual lust, evil desire, and that refers to any desire that is evil. It can be an evil sexual desire, or it can be an evil desire for violence or whatever it might be. He, he talks about mortifying covetousness, which he describes as idolatry. Covetousness is uh, the ungodly desire for more. It is a desire for more, a desire for material things, maybe a desire for relationships, but a desire uh, uh, for uh, something that becomes more important to me than God. And uh, that I'm willing to compromise the Word of God. I'm willing to compromise my relationship with the Lord in order to gain these things. And now, when that becomes something. In my life, it becomes more important to me than God, then it becomes idolatry. It's something that I'm worshiping rather than God, and that's why Paul calls it uh, idolatry. And Paul, when he lays these five things out here, he has no intention of being exhaustive at all. Uh, his idea is, let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about, and then you can fill in the list for yourself. It encompasses any and all uh, uh, sin. And then in verses 6 and 7, Paul provides us with two motivations for showing uh, sin no mercy in our lives. And he tells us, first of all, in verse 6, that we're to show sin no mercy in our lives. We are to mortify it Because God has promised that one day he will judge it. And that uh, sin displeases God. And so none of us as Christians, nobody ever wants to be close to something that God has said he is going to one day judge, knowing that he could judge it at any uh, time. We want to build our lives very, very far away from those things. But it's sufficient to know That this sin displeases God. It displeases the God who loves me that we sang about. Uh, The God who has saved me at enormous expense to himself. And that's a high motivation for mortifying uh, the deeds of the flesh, uh, that desire to please the one who has been so good to us. The second motivation he gives in verse 7 is because while these sins were once a part of our lives uh, Before we became uh, uh, Christians, they're not to be a part of our lives uh, now that we are Christians. And the point is this, that when these kind of temptations come to us, and I I assume we all recognize this from our own lives, and I'm not the oddball on it, but when the temptations come to us, uh, the idea is that we've already invested enough of our life in sin or in specific sins that want to take us into bondage. And, and so it's a very healthy uh, barrier against sin to, let's say, be a Christian, fail, and and sin in a particular area of life, disappoint ourselves, disappoint God, be ashamed uh, uh, of that. And then the next time that that temptation comes into our lives, for again, there to be a righteous indignation on it. And to say, I have already committed enough of the days and the months and the years of my life engaged in this sin. And if this sin could ever bring satisfaction, then I would have never became a Christian. But it is one of the things that drew me to become a Christian and to just stop and say, I have already committed enough of my life to this. I know where it goes. I know where it leads. I know the kind of person it turns me into. I've been there. I've done that. Got the t-shirt, as they say. And I don't want to go back. And it's a very, very helpful uh, motivation for showing no mercy uh, to sin in our lives. The next thing he tells us in verses 8 and 9 is that we're to put off the old man with his deeds. There at the, at the end of verse uh, 9. And here he's going to ca- he calls on us to put off the old man. Later in the passage he tells us to put on the new man. And when Paul talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, uh, you say, what in the world is he talking about here? But actually, he's using imagery that everybody in human history uh, can relate to whether 2,000 years ago or uh, today. And the the imagery that he's using here, he wants to have come in our our minds in terms of putting off the old man and putting on the new, is the putting on and putting off uh, of clothing. And so every day on a physical level, uh, we wake up in the morning and uh, we go get a cup of coffee and some breakfast and, uh, you know, uh, on that physical level. And then somewhere in the course of things, we begin to decide what we're going to wear for the day. And what we're going to wear in terms of clothing for the day is determined by what the day is. Uh, am I going to work? Am I going to school? Am I going uh, uh, to hike in Yosemite? Am I going to a gym uh, to work out or some other form of, uh, of recreation? And we, uh, we look at our day, what we're heading into, and we choose the appropriate clothes physically for that particular environment and so each of us have learned uh, how to dress and uh, I notice all of you got dressed today so you understand this for which we're thankful by the way Uh, but but we have all learned in the physical level we've all learned how to dress appropriately and Paul is telling us that what we do every day physically deciding what clothes we're going to wear that day out of a concern for how we present ourselves, how we are perceived by others, uh, a concern for our personal uh, appearance, a concern for the impression that we want to make uh, on other people because we recognize that the clothes that we wear are a reflection upon us. And so we give all of this uh, some thought. And Paul tells us here that we're to do the same thing spiritually in our lives. In the power of the Holy Spirit to determine and to choose every single day uh, to begin the day or throughout the day what kind of godly character do I choose to put on this morning? Do I choose now to wear out that front door Is I now engage this world and all of its diversity, or if I remain home and engage uh, others who live there. And what kind of godly character am I going to choose to wear now uh, spiritually in order to make a good impression upon them, uh, upon others? And every day, and again it can occur even minute by minute, is needed. Uh, Paul tells us we're to put off the old man with his practices. That is, who and what we were before we became Christians and who and what uh, we were when all we had in the closet was the sin nature. All we had in the closet was a fallen, uh, temptation-dominated flesh that comes from uh, Adam and Eve. Examples of the things we're to put off and uh, that we're to treat like uh, dirty clothes or worn-out clothes, he gives to us in verse 8 where we can start the day and uh, say, Lord, I, uh, I choose today is an act of my will and the power of the Holy Spirit. I choose today, verse 8, not to wear anger. And anger, the word speaks of this long, smoldering, abiding anger Anger toward another person or toward another situation, and Paul said, "Put that off." He speaks of putting off wrath, uh, and wrath is this sudden, explosive anger that flashes so quickly and then is gone just as quickly. He says to put off as an old garment is uh, something that's dirty and worn out. Uh, malice, and malice is a desire for ill toward another person and uh, a, a, and uh, a desire to hurt another person or their reputation blasphemy he speaks about that speaks of slander speech that is intended to harm another person or to harm their reputation he talks about putting off filthy language it's profanity dirty jokes Um, anything that's uh, that's coarse or obscene and then also lying whether that lying is exaggeration or whether it's just out and out lying or any attempt to deceive another person these are all things that we are to put off Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, wow, when are you going to get to a list that has something to do with me uh, or you? I mean, I know none of us ever uh, were engaged in any of these things. We never felt the pull of them or the emotion of them before we became a Christian. But I want you to know, there are other churches in this community that are filled with people like that, that used to be like this before they became uh, a Christian. No, we recognize all of it, Uh, to one degree or another, or at least mostly of these things listed uh, in our lives. And then Paul declares, because nobody can live a negative, nobody can live a purely put-off life, Paul then goes on to exhort us concerning what we're to replace those things with in our lives now that we are Christians. And thus in verses 10 through 13, he tells us to put on the new man. And the new man, this is theological. If you're brand new to the Bible, this is your first, new man, old man, what is the world? These are are theological terms. This is, uh, knowing this is required in order to understand the Bible and the Christian life. So the new man refers not to the person we are uh, as a result of our physical birth or uh, because we're a descendant of Adam and Eve, but it refers to the person that we are now as a Christian that we are now because of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the blessing, priceless blessing, of a spiritual birth, being born again, and then becoming a new creation as a result of being born again. That's who the new man is, and that is the man or the woman that God has created within us when we experience the miraculous of the spiritual birth. And Paul says now, uh, we are now to put on uh, the spiritual clothes. In other words, the godly character that supremely and properly represents that nature within us. And he describes for us there in verse 12, at the beginning of verse 12, that we are to do this as the elect of God, a holy and beloved of God. In other words, this is talking about a Christian who ha- ha- is to do this because they alone have the capacity uh, to, to, uh, 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 to do it. And then Paul gives us examples as well of the character and the characteristics of this new spiritual man uh, in us in verses 12 and 13. And so we can say just as well as we begin the day and we say, uh, to, we determine, I am uh, not going to put on anger. I am not going to put on wrath. Well, you can't live a, a, a life of I am not. It has to be filled with something. And so we don't stop with that, I will not. But now, uh, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as an act of my will, I choose to put on, as I head out this door or I head out this room to meet my family, to put on tender mercies, which speaks of compassion for people. And then kindness, which speaks about uh, the, the expression of compassion, doing good for other people. Humility, verse 12. Meekness, which talks about gentleness. God, I choose to put on gentleness today in my interactions with people that I'm going to have today. That's the character that I want them to see uh, in me. And then long-suffering, that is, patience with people. Verse 13, bearing with one another. In other words, not being uh, easily offended by the imperfections of others. To say, God, you know how people can really get on my, my nerves. But I know it's because I am wound way too tight. I'm a perfectionist. I expect perfection uh, of other people. And I don't want to take that out the door. That's part of the old nature. That's who I am from Adam and and Eve, not by the spiritual birth. And so I choose to put on today bearing with one another. I don't expect to run into a single perfect person today. And when I run into them and all of their quirkiness and And all of their being under construction, even as a Christian, I want to uh, deal with it and and bear with them. Forgiveness, verse 13. Forgiving other people. Lord, I want to forgive and I choose to forgive people today, uh, even as you have forgiven me. And then in verse 14, uh, above all else. Uh, Love or agape for one another which is the bond of perfection and agape for the word love That's the love that comes from the Holy Spirit So this tells us that all of these things are not something that we kind of uh, produce in our own lives These are things that come from the Holy Spirit We're able to put the one off and put the other on on a daily basis or an hourly basis uh, because of uh, the Holy Spirit, and he, when he talks about this love, he de- describes it as the bond of perfection it 's the bond that holds uh, Christians together. Uh, Peter wrote about it in First Peter chapter four, verse eight, and uh, he said, "And above all things, again that 's an on the edge of your seat kind of uh, statement." And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins, and it will. Isn't it funny how often, I assume you have people that are difficult in your life, and uh, don't laugh too but and uh, their their quirkiness or their goofiness or their whatever and man and and uh, we've we've all got them in our life and we are that to other people so we have to always keep that in mind as well and so often our our prayers or even if we don't even get to the place of prayer related to uh, the quirkiness of people and other people, especially Christians, uh, we can find ourselves praying to God, God, change him. God, you've got to change him. Got, I don't know how, I don't know if I can take another you know, month or whatever uh, it might be. And we, we load entirely our focus upon um, them changing and God changing them. And it's okay to pray that. There's nothing wrong with loading half of whatever onto, uh, onto that. But the other half, so often the reason why these people drive us crazy is because we need to grow in love. And it is, it is a shortcoming of our experience with love and a life that is dominated by love that can sometimes make the situation more acute than even their goofiness and here i've walked with the lord for a lot of years and i find myself in these latter years of of my life i'm not planning on dying anytime soon uh but i i find myself in in uh, looking back in earlier parts of my life where maybe somebody was just you know just uh, difficult and uh, the easiest thing to do is just avoid them, just to get away from them and, and handle it that way. But, but the, the older I've gotten, and, uh, and in some of those cases, those people have died. I mean, they've gone on into eternity. And, and I look and I say, Lord, I don't want to spend my life avoiding a whole world of people. When the issue is not their quirkiness, but the issue is the severe limitation of love in my life toward people like this. And so, I don't want to burn the relationship. I ask that you give me a love by your Holy Spirit for this relationship. And so, there's the two sides of it. Uh, within, within our lives. And the Gnostics, they taught that knowledge was the bond of perfection. Knowledge, intellectual knowledge, was uh, the, the supreme mark of, of spiritual maturity. And Paul says, no, it isn't. Uh, the, the distinction uh, of spiritual maturity uh, goes to this thing called love. And he tells us in the end of verse 10, That this new man, this new spiritual man uh, is described by Paul as renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's the kind of passage that you can, that's a sentence you can read by the Apostle Paul and read it a thousand times in a day and go, what in the world is he talking about Uh, uh, there? Renewed in knowledge according to the image of him that is God who created uh, him. And what Paul is saying is that as we live like this, putting off, putting on, but mainly in the putting on, as we live like this, we are becoming like the Lord who has provided us with this spiritual birth and also with this new nature. And the Gnostics, they emphasized intellectual knowledge as the way to spiritual depth and to spiritual maturity. Paul declares that spiritual depth and spiritual maturity is found in the knowledge of God. And the word that is used for knowledge there is epigonosco, It means a knowledge that comes by experience. And as we just simply put off and put on, as Paul describes here, and we do that as a part of our relationship with God, we will grow in an intimacy and a knowledge of God that doesn't come any other way. It's a knowledge that comes by experience with Him and the spiritual depth. Christianity is a relationship with God. And a relationship with that's, and to try and find spiritual depth independent of going deeper in our relationship with God, like the Gnostics were trying to do, is it's a dead end. It's found in knowing Him in in this way. And so we close this morning, and here we have the Apostle Paul's instruction on how to live a holy Christ-like life as as Christians. And the life that we all want to live. And again, recapping verses one through four to realize that we are raised with Christ, to seek those things which are above. To set our minds on things above and not on things on the earth. To realize that we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. To realize that when Christ appears, we will also appear with Him in glory. Again, these things are to dominate our thinking and our affections as Christians. And then once we know these things to be true, uh, then to in faith with an absolute confidence that everything that God has said in verses 1 through 4 is true of us, then by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, he says then to mortify the deeds of the old man, to put off the old man and put on the new man. And each of us has the ability to do that and the power of the Holy Spirit. And every time we go and, in obedience to the passage and we go to put something off as it's kind of listed here or to put something on When we make the decision to say I'm going to do that. I'm not wearing this out of the house I'm not wearing this into another day I choose to wear this now going out of the house. I choose to wear this for the rest uh, of my life, that when we make that decision to do that, we will discover the power of the Holy Spirit to make that decision and then step out in, uh, in the reality of that in our own lives. But we will only discover the ability to do this as we do it. But as we do it, we will discover the ability and the power uh, to, to do so. And I think about how wonderful it is and uh, as a Christian to think back uh, just for a moment uh, on the day uh, when we weren't Christians and how wonderful it is for us now to be able to go to our spiritual closet every single uh, day and there you see the old man, the person that we once were still hanging there. We can still put him on every single day and uh, uh, but there was a time when we went to that closet and that's all that was there there was no option and now we go to the closet and we see that hanging there but we also see the new man uh, hanging there the new person that God has made us as well and then the freedom the privilege of being able to make the choice to put him on uh, each day how horrible I remember it It was to go to that closet every day, so to speak, and there was no option to the person I was. And the life where my flesh was taking me, and that's an awful, awful closet. And then now, having become a Christian, to have an option that is there uh, before us, and the choice that has been provided to us. And we say, thank you, Lord, for all of that. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Lord, I don't know about anybody else, but I, I can feel this. I still remember what it was like to not be a Christian to be dominated by the old man. And Lord, I I know we all do. And we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts today that when we wake up every single day, there is not just the old man. In that closet, but now the new man, a new way, a new godly character uh, that it can be a part of our lives, new decisions to make, a different, uh, entirely different quality of life to live. And not only for our sakes, Lord, but so that people would see you through what we put on day in and day out and be drawn to you as well thank you so much for the new man and we thank you for this instruction of your word here today and lord i pray and we pray for every man and woman and child that has heard this for the very first time in their christian life that as they take this home with them now And then take this step of faith to begin a day or to begin an hour that you would meet with them right in that place. And as they choose to put off and then to put on, that you will confirm your word with accompanying signs and wonders. And Lord, I pray for myself and, and this, everyone that's within the earshot of my voice, we pray for one another in this regard that to whatever degree we have as Christians ceased to mortify, ceased to put off, ceased to put on as a regular part of our life, that this exhortation of the Apostle Paul would show us the danger and the folly of settling into such a Christian life and then to return to the beauty of all of this. And we pray for that work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name as well. Amen.